Welcome to the podcast of the Red-Headed Preacher for Sunday, April 18th, 2021. My name is Richard, Richard Lanford. I am the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. We're an open and affirming congregation in the UCC, and we are doing live stream worship right now, and we'll return again to hybrid uh, at some date yet to be determined. The message today is called to follow the risen, crucified Christ. And I'll be preaching mostly out of Luke 24, uh, beginning at verse 36, and with a, a, a little visit to Psalm 4. And uh, before you listen and before I go further, uh, I'll invite you to bow with me, or maybe you can't bow, but... I'm just going to offer a, a brief prayer. Holy Spirit, truth divine, dawn upon our souls this day. Be with us as we listen. Give us ears to hear whatever you would have us hear, what you want to say to us. And then bless our thinking about it later. And just bless our day, the people we interact with, that we may show forth the love of Christ and speak the truth in love. This we ask in the name of Christ, our crucified and resurrected Lord. Amen. And so we'll begin with our scriptures, which are read by Beth Lanford, who is the wife of the red-headed preacher. She is our lector today. Our first reading is Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God, of my right. You give me the room when I you gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your faith shine on us, O Lord. You will put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. This is the reading of the Psalms. Our New Testament letter is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. John wants us wants to tell us that God's love and making us God's children has a lot to do with what we are and what we will be like later. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be 
has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. This ends the reading of the first letter of John. This morning, the gospel lesson is another post-resurrection appearance by Jesus. Right after the two disciples who saw the Lord after he broke the bread with them in Emmaus, they returned to tell others in Jerusalem. This passage is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Here ends the reading from Luke and the scriptures for this morning's service. May God bless us with a renewed sense of God's presence as we have received this, the word of God for the resurrection people. Some folks can go to great lengths to make a point. Teachers, parents, pastors, Driver's ed instructors, coaches, politicians, the media, you name it. I remember years ago when I wanted to ask our church to take a special offering for our UCC-affiliated Community Renewal Society in Chicago. I went to the Board of Finance first. There I was introduced to the, to the old adage, if you want to get something across, Tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. 
That's one way to get a point across, we hope. <laughs> Another way is through drama, dramatic actions or dramatic words, protests, especially when they seem to center on a focused set of issues which keep coming up. Vigils, which usually benefit from media attention to spread their point. Our world and our society have so much going on these days, from climate crises to federal legislation, the virus and vaccines, from historic tensions and deaths between people of color and white officers of the law, to opioid addiction, people losing their homes, and calls to reverse historically institutionalized sexism and racism. There are almost too many points out there being made to keep track of, let alone different perspectives and emphases. Well, dramatic action, for sure, is how Jesus got his point or points across in our gospel. Ultimately, the risen and crucified Jesus is going to influence how you, I, and the church respond or make points to the times we live in. I put a pin in that. I'll build us back to it. If you were with us last Sunday or caught it later, you've no you noticed some similarities between what we heard from John last week and what Beth read from Luke 24 this morning. Luke wants to emphasize two things at least, understanding that the resurrection overall is primary. One thing is that the risen Christ is not a ghost. Luke wrote, they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Apparently seeing ghosts back then was commonly accepted. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water during a storm towards the disciples' boat and they thought it was a ghost? And ghosts show up in reality or by inference in the Old Testament too. Jesus shows them his scars. They're not totally sure yet. He says, touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he ate a nice piece of fish. Ghosts do not eat. Point one, dramatically made, Jesus, not a ghost. There is a corporeal body here with special or spiritual qualities, like being raised from a tomb. Point two, more crucial for us this morning. It is the crucified Christ who has been raised. The same Jesus who was whipped, stripped, and nailed to the cross to die by suffering and eventual suffocation is the very same who appears to them fully alive. This is another point which can take a moment to put together and maybe longer to see what it means for you and me to follow Jesus as you and I face life in the United States in the third decade of this century. Well, let's take a step back right there. Unlike John's account, wherein the disciples were terrified at first, here Jesus went on to ask 
Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Well, it takes a good bit of faith to truly believe Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Even for those disciples who spent three years or so with him, it was a real mind bender. Folks today still can't swallow this. It's too fantastic. It's beyond scientific rationality and turn away. Or maybe they come to church service, but when it's Easter, there may be an internal rolling of the eyes at this miraculous news. How do we even begin to talk about following Jesus if we do not think he is alive to follow and not a dead rabbi? Well, doubt, in fact, is part of faith for most of us. So Jesus asked them, why are they doubting? And let's ask ourselves that. Why do we doubt and when? I just gave one instance. People do not rise from the grave unless their names are Jesus of Nazareth or Buffy Summers. We know that the disciples doubted. They did not stay in their doubts, though. What happened? Their faith, first received years before, got pushed into the caverns of doubt and fear. They recovered it well enough through a process which we heard. After he showed up, they were terrified, despite his peace be with you. He addresses them, as I quoted a minute ago, and then showed them his hands and his feet. Things got a little better, Luke says, while in their joy... They were disbelieving and still wondering. He asked for some food and ate it. Improvement? After this, he pointed them back to the scriptures and how his life, death, and resurrection fulfilled them. And then he was reassured enough of their faith's recovery to tell them that they are witnesses to these things. So first, Jesus was patient with their fear and doubt. He refutes the ghost charge and points them to his scars. It worked in John for the ten, but not so much here, and it worked for Thomas later, but not so much in Luke. But there was wondering and joy at work also. Progress was being made. And then came his opening of the scriptures, and he reminded them of what he had previously said to them. So understanding and belief here do not come all at once. They came back to a firm faith after Jesus' patience, indulging their need for physical proof and a Bible study about him. Sarah Henrich, quoted in the United Church of Christ's Weekly Seeds offering, said... It is good news that we dare hope for an increased trust in Jesus. Jesus does not give up helping his followers come to understanding. Our faith can battle back doubt, but it can take time and supportive evidence. And lacking the evidence that the first disciples had, we have the evidence of a supportive community for Christ lives within and amongst us. Beyond gaining or regaining 
our faith in the risen, crucified Jesus, having a handle on Scripture helps. Knowing verses like Philippians 4.13 or the 23rd Psalm can minister to us in times of pain, crisis, or fear when we draw upon them from memory. But what about knowing passages so well that they help strengthen and grow our faith? The disciples needed that to regain faith, too, I think. Fred Craddock wrote that both here and on the earlier that trip to Emmaus, earlier that day trip to Emmaus, Jesus opened to them the prophecies and the law that pointed both to his ministry and to his sufferings, death, and rising again. For pointing to his ministry being fulfilled, Fred believes that Jesus was directing them to the story in Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. That's when Jesus reads from Isaiah in his hometown synagogue, saying that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and bring in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he told that synagogue, this scripture has now been fulfilled in your hearing. So that's one story that Jesus could have pointed them to, assuming they already knew that story from him. And it refers to Isaiah. One can turn to Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and other places which indicate the suffering and death of God's anointed one. God's words at Jesus' baptism echo Isaiah, where the servant songs begin. Psalm 2 comes into play. Those passages hold drama and in the light of Christ make their New Testament point. So let us keep those in our head as starting stones for if and when you are asked to explain how you think the Bible affirms Jesus as Savior and Messiah and also to renew your own faith. An additional thought of mine comes from a question I was asked, is the church or is the church you serve at the time, which wasn't this one, biblically literate? The late, great Reverend Dr. Kenneth Smith, former pastor, professor, and president of Chicago Theological Seminary, upon hearing a sort of no answer, pushed me further. Do you mean biblically literate in terms of knowing the stories or in knowing biblical principles? I've never forgotten that distinction. You and I both can probably point to folks who know Bible stories, but their lives do not reflect their knowing biblical principles and how they treat other people. Of course, all of us are sinners. Does being biblically literate matter for bearing witness to our faith and our crucified, resurrected Christ? Does it matter for church growth? I say it matters for our health and our authenticity. If we are invested, if we've given our lives over to Christ who gave his life for ours, it behooves me and you to learn more stuff stories and principles, sharing them as needed and living them out to give evidence of our changed life, our commitment to God, to God's values, and to our hope. 
of following the risen, crucified Christ will take us into the world of dynamics around us as well as what's going on inside our own spirits, in our faith and what we learn from Scripture. Like the first disciples, we also are to be witnesses to the Lord. To recap, I'm saying that calls for faith, which can doubt, but benefits from the patience of Jesus and the knowledge of Scripture and the welcoming community. It keeps our faith, struggling or not, in conversation with God, engaged with Christ. Our trust in God grows over time, sometimes abetted by our own experience of being blessed, which we attribute to the grace of God. Well, such deepened trust can find us leaning to the spirit of Psalm 4. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me lie down in safety. Such deep faith really helps me and you when we answer Christ's call to follow and witness to the risen, crucified Jesus. It helps us to follow and to make a point for God. Well, following the risen, crucified Jesus, to faithfully face all the things going on in our world and in our country, you and I learn again what the disciples and every generation of Christians have learned. It is not easy. We undergo setbacks, harassment, feeling caught in the middle between supporting this but supporting that, and they seem to be in a hyper-extremist time of life, caught in the middle. And then you get attacked from both sides, or all three sides. Misunderstanding and sacrifices, some places threats. It depends on what we are called by Jesus to do with our gifts in bringing the crucified, risen Christ to the stuff that's going on in our country and on our planet. I'm indebted to Fred Craddock for this point, towards which I've been heading. Remember I said put a pin in this? I've been building up to this. Identifying the risen Jesus is also the very same crucified Jesus is, he says, critical not just for theology, but also for defining the nature of the risen Christ. If the Jesus who died belongs to the historical past, but the one disciples now follow is the eternal Christ, then the Christian life can take on forms of spirituality that are without suffering for others, without a cross, without any engagement of issues of life in this world, all the while expressing devotion to a spiritual living Christ. The Gospels say no to such a definition of discipleship. Even Paul insisted on joining crucifixion with resurrection. To follow the risen Christ is to follow the one who bore the cross. End quote. That's meant to be you, me, St. Peter's UCC, 
and all other disciples. So we can see how the risen, crucified Jesus shapes how we are Christians. Do we do we do as he said we must and take up our own cross, being ready and able to lay it all down to follow our Savior? Following him in working with others for peace, in bearing witness for racial justice and doing what reconciliation might require, and following him in helping to build bridges of mutual understanding in America, thereby, we hope, reducing ignorance, fear, hatred, and violence over time. Following him in sharing the good news of a forgiving Christ who is patient, who loves all people because we are all made in God's image, or by seeking economic justice like that for which the prophets called. Lots of these bring conflict of one sort or another, or as I said, could feel you caught in the middle. There is a cross, but we also follow the one who was raised in life after the cross. To God be the glory. Amen. I sincerely hope you found something meaningful in that message and or in the scriptures. And next week, I know that the gospel reading will come once more from the gospel according to John. I think it's from chapter 10 where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, but I haven't checked it out for sure. I just remember seeing John 10. So that will be a little bit of a different uh, take based on sermons only or featuring the resurrection because we are in Easter tide. I ask for your prayers for our country as we go through so much all at one time, even as the vaccines are helping to reduce the virus in a lot of places and more and more people are getting vaccinated, whereas there are surges in other areas with hospitalization beds diminishing in some places. So I encourage your prayers for our country and for the world, which doesn't have the vaccine nearly as much as the United States does. And may God bless your week. Thank you for tuning in. Bye.